Well, hello everyone and welcome back again to Mother Roots. I am your host, Lisa Brenner. So I am the granddaughter to Rhea, the daughter to Karen, and I am mother to Kaya, Bodhi, and Arjuna. And today I have Aaron here with me. So welcome, Aaron. Hello, thank you for having me today. I am the granddaughter to Jean, the daughter to Lynn, and the mother to Morgan and Olivia, and stepmother to Emma and Gavin. Beautiful. Welcome. That's <laughs> so nice to see Thanks you. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you too. All right. So, how old are your kids now? Uh, my oldest is 27. My youngest is 20. And then my stepkids are 22 and almost 18. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so where should we start? Well, uh, let me just ask one of my questions, I guess, to get us going. Sure. Who always want to be a mother? Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. When I was a kid, I would pretend I was pregnant and have baby dolls, like the whole thing. Like I, I was, I was all in. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Wow. Um, yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like it's such a really, it seems to be like a 50, 50 split so far. Some people either like for sure know that like, yes, I am going to be having children and other people are like, ah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Well, it was, it was an interesting story for me too, because I um, found out I was expecting at 19 um, and I was unwed. So, ooh, oh no, <laughs> you know, big deal. So it's funny because I was working full time at the time I was done my training as a hairstylist. So I was working, but it was um, an unfortunate, tumultuous career in the sense that um, there's been a lot of changes in my career over my life, lots of different um, employers living in different cities. And this particular experience was um, a little bit volatile because the place I worked at, um, they were wanting to sell the business. So they laid me off when I was six months pregnant. Well, holy shit. Pardon my French. Oh, no. Um okay. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was terrified to try and find a job when you're expecting is not easy, especially as visibly pregnant as I was. Um, I ended up finding out, I guess it was three months. I thought it was about two months to the end of my pregnancy that I was sick. Um, I was gaining a lot of weight, uh, very quickly. And I had to, they had said to me at the time, they said, do you want to um, stay with a family practitioner who you will stay with the whole time? Or do you want to switch to an OBG, um, basically a doctor that will deliver for you, but you may never meet them. And you may not even get that doctor, even if you do have a relationship with them up until the time you may end up with someone else if they're on holidays or busy. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. So I'll stick with what I know. I'll stick with someone the whole way along. Unfortunately, um, the nature of the doctor's experience was limited with um, um, this particular challenge I had. Um, so as I was going in for visits and she's like, oh, you're gaining a lot of weight, you should be exercising. Um, and 
getting close to, I think it was down to one month visits. I was gaining like between 10 and and 15 pounds between, which was like unusual. And then the last time I went to visit was like getting down to weekly visits. I gained 20 pounds in like a week or two. And so it was pretty scary. So um trying to think of the name. <laughs> I, oh, I obviously know what it is. So there's, um, what is it when your blood pressure gets high? It'll come to me. <laughs> I can't think, I can't think of that's terrible. I'm total brain farting right now, but that's, that's my age now. The age I'm at, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And then, oh, it's gone. Yeah. Um, I'll come back to, I'll come back to that. But anyway, I ended up with an emergency C-section with her. Um, on April Fool's Day. So I went in, I woke up in the morning, my eyes were swollen shut. I couldn't even see out of my eyes. I'm like, how am I going to get to my last appointment? So finally, you know, I ended up at the last appointment. They're like, you're going to have a baby today. I'm like, ha ha, April Fool's, ha ha, good one. And they're like, no, we're serious. I'm like, oh my God. So they went, tried to do it naturally. They, they, well, as naturally as you can, they put me on the Pitocin and then that, wasn't going well. She ended up uh, being a little impatient and having a bowel movement before she was out. So then it was emergency time. So they uh, did a C-section and it was weird because I remember during my pregnancy, that was the one thing I didn't want to have happen. I kept thinking, um, I don't care anything else that happens. I just don't want to have a cesarean. And I even had a, I even had a, a dream where the baby's head popped out of my stomach, looked at me, and then spun around, went back into my stomach, like not normal, you know, but like out through my belly button or something. I'm like, what? So it's almost like the universe was saying, guess what, honey, <laughs> this is happening, whether you like it or not. So that sucked. Um, but in the end, she was in the hospital for, I think it was five weeks. I was in the hospital, I think for one or two. Um, and it was pretty freaking terrifying. It was, it was really scary, I guess. We both could have ended up dying. I didn't realize how serious it was. In the end, I had another doctor um, step in who was known for being one of the best um, prenatal doctors in the area in Cambridge at the time. And uh, she did an outstanding job. And I stayed with her for my second pregnancy, which was seven years later. I had a vaginal uh, delivery. Everything was was normal after that. But they kept a close eye on me because it was... Um, a different father. So sometimes that can cause uh, this particular um, disorder or disease. And uh, they just really wanted to make sure that didn't happen again, which I was happy with. So I was like 27 at the time when I had my second, but um, it was a, it was a weird time too, because as a hairstylist, you don't get a lot of time off. You don't get a year um, maternity leave. You don't get six months maternity when you're self-employed. It's like, you get what you get. You don't get upset. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite the, quite the spin around pretty quickly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I had the real downtime to heal and to bond and to really enjoy it. And then right back to work again. Um, it was tough. It was a tough time. And so I really, I really feel for, especially the, the self-employed moms or the moms that aren't getting the real nurturing time that I know you provide um, as some of your services, that they really don't get a chance to, to look at what's happening with my body, what's happening with my mind, what's happening with my hormones, 
you know, how can I really connect with this beautiful little spirit that I brought into the world instead of rush, 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 and still doing all the things you were doing before, whether it was just, you know, working and cleaning or taking care of another child and working and cleaning. And, and then all of a sudden there's another child thrown into the mix. And uh, at the time I didn't have male individuals in their lives or fathers or husbands or partners that were super helpful and engaged. And um, I used to joke, I, I had had my first daughter I went through a Lamaze class and they, you know, they did the whole educational thing. So then with the second one, um, it was my husband's first child. So I said, oh, wouldn't it be nice for him to have this Lamaze experience? And so I signed up and I think he made it to two. (laughs) two. So I'm sitting there like going, oh gosh, I've been there, done that. And then at one point um, they looked at me and they said, well, you know, you've done this before. And I'm like, yes. I have. <laughs> and I'm here again. It's like, I didn't pick it up the first time, you know, here I am again, but it's still good. Refresher seven years later, that's a good length of time. So yeah. they says, is there any, is there anything that you recommend to some of the mothers here? And, and <laughs> I had such a tumultuous experience after delivery of a preemie baby, a baby with a very tiny mouth, wouldn't latch on, I went to Lalesh, uh, they stripped her down, me down. I had the tube over the shoulder, the milk dripping out, all this stuff happening at the same time. And uh, some people do really well with that. Some people have great experiences with that. With that. I had a traumatizing experience with that. My, I, I finally just gave her a bottle because I just could not, We just it just wasn't working. And so one of the things I said at this Lamaze class was, well, make sure you have formula in the cupboard. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You'd think that I had just like murdered a puppy in front of everyone. The way they, this woman reacted that was leading the class, she lost her mind. I said, I, she's like, you're undermining the mothers. I said, I, I don't want to do that. If you, if you have enough breast milk, if you're, if things are going smoothly, then that's fantastic. But for me, I was to, I was pumping immediately because my preemie was in an incubator and um, the pumping wasn't stimulating enough. So I had to do other things to do that. And then when I finally did bring her home, I would pump. And then by the time I was done pumping, she was awake. So I'd have to try and nurse her or give her a bottle. And then by the time she was asleep, it was time to pump again. I was not sleeping. And then of course you're not making enough milk. So I was, it was just this vicious cycle of, of, crap. So here I am in this class second time around telling people to go out just in case, not, you know, not fully, but like just in case she's like, you're undermining the mother. And I said, look, if it's 2am and you're ready to throw the, throw the baby out the window and dad's like, I can't help. I don't know what to do. God love me. Tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. And if it means that dad can give a bottle, and mom can get some sleep so she doesn't lose her mind. I mean, postpartum, hormones, stress, not enough milk, whatever it is, it's not going to kill the baby to give the baby form. Actually, it could save lives. Well, I said this the other yeah. day to a client. I'm like, self-care saves lives. And everybody assumes it's your own. Not always. <laughs> Sometimes it prevents the murder of others. <laughs> And I say it lightly and I don't mean to, I try and keep things light and fluffy in these serious conversations, but I'm like, have formula in the cupboard to literally get some rest and let dad feel like he can actually do something to help. And when I had my second one, I still just was someone that just didn't make enough milk. 
And I found that having uh, a seven-year-old who was pretty low maintenance and still being busy by the end of my day at around dinner time, I didn't seem to have enough. So I would give the baby, my youngest to my husband with a bottle. And then I would make dinner and da, 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 da. And by bedtime, man, I was bursting and the baby would nurse and go to bed happy. And everybody was happy, 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 which isn't that the goal is happy, happy, happy. Yeah. It's not realistic, but that's the goal. Yeah. Well, it could like, that's the thing, right? Your, your hormones are all out of whack and you're exhausted. And so it's like stress and anxiety is like at an all time high. And then if you've got a screaming baby because they're starving, like it's, it's, uh, ooh. yeah, it's a lot. And my mom was even trying at like home remedies. Like she's getting me to drink like the, the richest, blackest, most barley soaked beer. She's like, drink this beer. It'll bring up like, I don't even know what you're trying to get me to do. I thought alcohol when you were pregnant nursing was bad. I don't know what you're trying to get me to do, <laughs> but it's, it seems a little weird. We tried everything. We literally tried everything. And and God, don't beat yourself up. I think that's the thing. Gosh, everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got, this is what you should be doing. And this is what you should be doing. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so it's a little bit is helpful, but it's like, it, if, it seems like as soon as you tell people you're pregnant, they start, they just yeah. boom, 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 boom. Oh, and by the way, it was called eclampsia. I had eclampsia, yes, not even preeclampsia. It was like full blown eclampsia. The doctor was uh, doing the cesarean saying that she'd never seen a case that bad in the time that she'd been oh. a physician. So I'm just grateful she was there to, to save both of our lives. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Oh, there's just, yeah, there's just a ridiculous amount of pressure from everybody yeah. around us. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're not, everyone talks about, you know, mistakes and, and, and all of that but it's like we're not even given the opportunity to develop that because everyone's just like like vultures like <laughs> mm-hmm. oh you gotta do this you gotta do that try this try that oh you shouldn't be doing this it's just ugh. and then people get upset when you don't want to have them around and you just want to have that time to nest in with right your baby, right yeah and what works for one person doesn't work for everyone i i did an interview this morning and it was it was the same discussion just with mental health it's you know, some people can have these beautiful natural births in a baby pool surrounded by cedar trees or they're in their bedroom or, you know, my cousin said that to me um, between pregnancies. It was after my first traumatic one and and before my my second lesser traumatic one. She said, you know, how I should try kind of birthing at home. And I said, I got to tell you, I said, if you're going to do that, I think that's amazing. And I totally support it. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I said, I, I can't gamble that way with the first one that I had. I, I really want to make sure that I'm close to, you know, a, a hospital that when in a really dire situation, they can deal with it quickly. And I'm sure that under natural settings, they have all the, the preliminary and precautionary measures. I just couldn't do it. Not after that first experience. And that's okay too. And I think that's the thing. There's going to be people who can have babies like popping buttons off a card and hallelujah, God bless you. Some people don't. I, <laughs> I, was, I was one of those people. I stopped after two. I thought, okay, you know what? I hit the first, the second one kind of created a better memory in my mind than the first one did. So let's just, let's stop at the top of our game. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Like it, 
there's so many traumatizing experiences right and the thought of like putting yourself through that again it's uh yeah it's just too much and yeah and it's it's cool when you realize that um the medical and natural approach to birthing has provided an opportunity for people to come back after cesareans or, or, or these traumatizing events that you can try again and have a natural birth. In some cases, I was one of the lucky ones in that respect. Not everyone can, but um, it's a, it's a great opportunity, but you know, one of the things that getting back to the, um, the bonding with the child and stuff like that. I found it really hard to bond with my first child because of that, because I went home without a baby. And I think that was the weirdest, really messed up my head. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> what do I, what do I do with myself? Like, I don't know how to handle this. And then I'm had, we were down to one vehicle. So I'm busing over to trying to take milk with me. And it was just, it, wild. It was such a wild experience to not take a baby home with you. Um, luckily, eventually I did. Um, it, but the second time it was, it was a more normal experience, but when it comes to bonding with your kids, it really does interrupt that when you don't get that immediate time. I was literally knocked out with the cesarean. I wasn't even awake for that part. So there was no skin on skin. There was, I didn't actually see her for three days. <laughs> I, I refused to name her until I saw the baby and my sister finally it was back in the VHS times. So she's like recording the baby in the incubator and brought me the, the VCR, the little camera to look at the video and said, look at, you've seen her now just name this child. <laughs> so it's just such a weird thing. And just their whole lives, you know, being able to, to take the time and, and bond with them and, if I can say anything that I've observed with mums um, recently is, and I don't want to sound like a real jerk. I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon, but please, I'm begging you sit down the screens. I watch it a lot. I'm out and about and I see mums sitting on benches and the kids are interacting, but they're not interacting with the kids. And I really miss that. And I can guarantee you mums out there, there's a really good chance you're going to miss those little moments, you know, whether it's waiting for a restaurant to open or just sitting at the park or going for a walk, um, really try and put those screens down. Cause I also see the other end of it I'm, as a holistic life coach. I deal with people who are struggling mentally of all ages. And I see a lot of teens without connections to their parents because they don't think their parents care about them because they're just not sitting and making eye contact with them and talking with them and playing with them. And it really does break my heart. Um, it's, it's something of our generation or this current generation that I think we're going to see uh, repercussions of down the road. Um, and it does certainly concern me. We really do need that time. And not to say that falls solely on moms. It falls on all interactive guardians, whether it's grandparents or, or dads, you know, um, older siblings, just try and connect. It's, I know with myself, I ended up starting a business. Um, I had a business prior to this, but a really energy sucking, all consuming business, <laughs> hybrid hair detox spa in 2010. And at that time, um, my youngest was around like seven years old. And one of the things I deeply grieved was the fact that I threw so much of my time and commitment and energy into that. And I really missed out on time and our, my 
my um, family was also evolving around that time too, turning into a blended family. So there was a lot for them to digest. And I was quote unquote busy and being busy. If you know that you've always wanted to be a mom is it's a tough balance. You know, my mom, amazing mother, but only identified as a mom. And when I moved out at 18, which is normal, relatively speaking, um, put herself in the hospital with anxiety. Um, she identified so hard with being a mom and that was all she had for an identity that she got her, she became sick when I left and I'm the youngest. So I remember thinking at the time, I didn't ever want my kids to feel that way, that they had that responsibility to take care of me at that point, that, um, we could have a relationship, but not that she had to rely on me so heavily and she didn't have an identity outside of that. And I do get concerned about like, don't identify too deeply with anything. Like I don't, I wouldn't call myself. I am a higher hairstylist. I am a holistic life coach. I am a business owner. I, you know, I am a human being that enjoys a lot of these experiences in life and including being a mom, which to me, you know, if you said, well, would you want to be when you grew up? Well, I wanted to be a mom. And aside from being a holistic life coach, and aside from being a hairstylist, all of which are very rewarding, very enriching, um, that is to me the most important job. And the only one that came with zero training. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just so interesting to talk about your mom, but it's like, yeah, like all this pressure, right? It's like, <laughs> and the way society is, it's like, well, if you're just a mom, it's like the whole like just a mom thing too, right? It's like, <laughs> there's so much involved in that being just a mom. But I think that's the thing that's the most heartbreaking is when people say, I'm a stay at home mom or I'm just a mom. It's like, you're, you may have to bleep me out if you do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I almost, it almost slipped out of my face. It's, it's a full-time freaking job. It's yeah. a full-time freaking job. And it is the most important job because then at the other end, when they're in school, maybe they're behaving nicely. Maybe they're being respectful to their friends. Maybe they are kind-hearted and empathetic to the people around them. Maybe they grow up to be volunteers in the community. Maybe they grow up to be um, incredible contributors to society and the planet like it is the most, without a doubt, hands down, the most important role any of us can ever play is a guardian to a child, whether it's a biological child or an adopted child or a stepchild. I've taken my job as a stepchild, a step from a stepchild, a stepmother incredibly seriously. I love those kids like they're my own. It's it's a different experience, but it's a role I take equally as seriously. And um, why wouldn't we? Yeah. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Like these little human beings, especially in blended families, which a minimum of 50% of our listeners are going to be, they're saying 50% of these relationships are, are, are changed. So these, these families, so why can't we? Yeah. We're like, literally raising future generations. Right? Yeah. And if we, you know, are not happy with certain things in our society or the way people are and act and behave, 
it's on us to teach our children differently. And that sounds heavy too. And unfortunately, there's no avoiding it. It's like we're either part of the problem or we're part of the solution. And, and to just point fingers. And I see that a lot too, you know, with regards to interactions at schools, you know, the teachers say, well, the parents should deal with it. And the parents say the teachers should be dealing with it. Oh my word. (laughs) Just freaking deal with it. These kids are slipping through cracks, right? They are. They're slipping through cracks and they need support and they need love and they need any kind of guardianship, authentic, genuine, transparent guardianship that they can get. And yes, it's a huge responsibility. And I look back and I think, gosh, there's so many things I would do differently, but there's no going back and there's no point in regret. But I do believe in being completely authentic, transparent, and genuine, even now with my kids and saying to them, like my oldest daughter said, she wasn't sure if she wanted to have kids. I'm like, then don't. And she was kind of surprised. I'm like, it is not your job to make me a grandmother. It's not. And if you, Feel it in your like your soul that you want to have children. That's great. It's a wonderful life experience. Don't expect it to complete you in any way, but it's a wonderful life experience. There have been, I have always wanted kids and there's been times where I wanted to scoop my eyeballs out with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do not have that innate, I must have children in you. I am so sorry for the state you're in. And I've seen it. I had a really good friend of mine who admits to this day that she should never have had kids. She describes herself, not my words, her own. She's like, I'm just too selfish. Like I just didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And I just, it didn't work the way I would have liked. And she had certain ideas of what it would be like and and the sexes of the children she wanted to have. And, and a lot of those things didn't work out for her and she loves her kids, but her connection is, she feels is fragmented. And so I look at it like, I know a lot of the people out there are already moms that are listening and maybe look into healing that part of yourself. If you're one of those people, because it's not the kid's fault that they're here, you know, and we lose patience even as people who wanted kids and we had no idea what we were getting into as it is. But if you're one of the ones that felt like, yeah, I did it because society told me to, or my spouse wanted them. I didn't really want them. And I felt like I should, or my parents pressured me, whatever the situation is, Look for ways to heal that in yourself first. Don't let that pain and that weight get transferred onto the next generation because they they didn't ask to be here, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've, uh, I think, kind of already touched on this a number of times, but uh, what, like, what is motherhood to you? Like, how would you describe what motherhood is. Gosh. It's funny that you say that I've touched on. I feel like I haven't really at all, but um it really is the most important role, being any kind of role mo- role model for another. And I think about when I was 20 and I I had my first child, I really had no idea how to deal with a three pound baby. <laughs> I didn't have the right size clothing. I didn't have the right size diapers. People at the time it was cabbage patch preemie clothes. People were recommending. Now there's all kinds of options at the time. That's literally what they had. It's, it is a growing experience. And I would say that I grew up with my oldest daughter, not because I was, I don't think that I was immature so much as I was just simply inexperienced and naive 
And, um, and I don't know if I really knew fully myself yet. What I loved about having her young was the fact that I think she helped develop me into who I am. And I'm grateful for that because I think each child that comes along is such a gift and they really do add another dimension to the mother. And if you allow it to, if you allow it to, um, and a lot of things can affect that, you know, a lot of traumatic things and, and emotional blocks, but thinking about quote unquote normal, whatever normal is, it's setting on a dryer. But um, if you, if you can have a relatively normal experience, I think it can add dimension to who you are. I've said to my girls many times that they've both saved my life in many ways, because in my first relationship, it was quite unhealthy. And um, my partner was very much into um, substance abuse, wonderful person, but really slipping and getting lost. And I looked at that situation and because I was such a nurturing person, I was nurturing him as him like a child. And when she came home she was so tiny and fragile and really neat, like genuinely needed me for survival. I had to step back and that's what I mean. It gave me another perspective that I didn't have before. And I had to leave that relationship. And I did that because of her, I wouldn't have done that on my own. I didn't do that on my own. But as soon as she was there, I I could see this life in a different, through a different lens. And uh, so she saved, I believe she saved my life then. And then my, my second child, I was in a, a unhealthy marriage, one that was unbalanced. And I suffered a great deal of postpartum depression, thought that my kids would be better without me, thought the whole world would be better without me. It was a really challenging, troubling time. And yet she would cry in the middle of the night and I would go nurse or I would put my hand on her back or I would, and I thought, gosh, who would do that if I wasn't here? So I started to realize that maybe, maybe I should be here. You know, maybe I need to be here because then they wouldn't get that special kind of love that only I can give them or her at the time, you know? So it can be a really strange, isolating experience the way our culture does pregnancy and postpartum and stuff. And I think that's unfortunate. And I like, that's why I love so much what you do is the fact that you're trying to change that and make it more of a community, which is what it, sh- it should be. And I think back when we had proper tribes and we were doing it in, in more of um, a village type approach, there was more of that camaraderie, support, recognizing signs of problems, whether it be health before or health after or during or whatever. And I think at this point with being a mom, it's evolved again. Like I've got adult children, one of which is living in Newfoundland, one of which is living in my home, going to university at this point, but I've had the empty nest. I've had the the child come back. I've had all of those things. And I would say each age group has come with its own gifts and its own extra dimension of development for me too. It's helped my emotional intelligence evolve and getting to know them now as adults is such a blessing to see how they've, and I guess I would say that to young moms that are listening, like, think about that. Think about 
the personalities you're developing. Think about the relationships that you're developing now for later on. <clears throat> I was interviewing a woman um, this morning, a senior um, for the radio station this morning, and she was talking about specific challenges that senior women or seniors in, in general, but specifically for this conversation, senior women have with not having that connection and being isolated from their children. I worked in a long-term care facility for a few years, um, 20 years ago, and I saw how children treated their parents when they're older. What you do to invest in them now would potentially come back to you tenfold later. If you can carve out the time and be a dedicated, genuine, authentic, transparent parent, a conscious parent as best you can in this challenging world, you might still have connections later on down the road. And I pray that you do. I pray that I do. But I mean, you're investing now. It's like saving money for retirement. You're, you're, you're investing now. You're putting those deposits in now for later on. And it's hard to think about later on when you're in the moment, and the kids need snacks and you're running to sports and you're all over the place. But seriously, you're, you're investing now for what kind of relationship and what priority you will have in their lives later on. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I, uh, it's interesting because my oldest is 15 now. And, uh, so just really kind of being privy to the whole high school experience and all of her friends and uh, yeah, just how different her friends' relationships are with, with their parents. And like my daughter and I are very close. She tells me all kinds of things. She fills me in on things. And, uh, and, and like, yeah, like I've, I've worked very hard for that relationship with her as well. Good for you. It's funny when they come to you with stuff and you have to have, and no one can see us right now, but you can, you'd be like, oh, okay. Hmm. Oh, really? Like, and oh, inside, and inside you're like, oh, <laughs> what's happening right now? But outside you're like, oh, right. Okay. Sure. I love it. Yeah. It is the weird. See, this is what I mean. Who would have thought you'd have that experience when they're two, when they're 12, 15, 17, you're like, Oh my God, I have to stay really calm right now and not react <laughs> or they won't come to me later. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's so wild. But yeah, you know, because you were saying too, that having your daughter so young and that really kind of helped you to grow and evolve and, and like I think like I really see that happening at any age it doesn't matter when you have your children sure um, I didn't have my first until I was 31 and even then you know I've seen and like with each of my kids like how much they've brought to me and have helped me grow and evolve and and to change and to be a better person so it's just uh yeah it's 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 wonderful it's fascinating <laughs> I just love it. Me too. It's incredible. And then you add the joy for me. I was, was blessed to have stepkids and it just adds another, and I don't have to add any more stretch marks to the tally. <laughs> I've got two bonus kids and I didn't have to go through delivery. I didn't get any more stretch marks. It was amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How old were they when they came into your life? 
Um, seven and two. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I, I will touch on that just briefly in case there's any stepmoms or step parents out there. My, the seven-year-old was a girl. And so our kids ended up being like my oldest and then his oldest and then my youngest and then his youngest. And they say that kids that are um, disrupted in their family order struggle kind of the most. So his oldest tended to struggle a little bit more. My youngest felt somewhat displaced too, because she was my little cuddle muffin. She was all over me. And then all of a sudden this other little boy came along and he wouldn't speak to me. He he was extreme, almost to the point. I'm like, is this child ever going to talk? Because I'm kind of concerned, but he was so desperate for connection. He would just suction cup to me. And at first I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is not, this is nice. And, you know, okay. And then at one point my, my mom mentioned, she was kind of concerned. She's like, you know, I'm concerned about Olivia and I'm concerned about, he had a tendency to want skin on skin contact. So he would wrap his arms around my waist and under my shirt. So on around my waist, under my shirt. And I would just kind of sit there and go, oh, what's happening right now? Okay. Well, he's two. He's not being weird. He can't be weird at this point. Right. I'm sure certainly not instigating this. So I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to embarrass him. I'm just going to leave it. And I, my own, the only boy I had, like I have really close nephews, but I've never had my own son. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just kind of leave this be. Well, this was a habit every time he would come over. And what I was told about mom, because I didn't really know much about mom, was that she wasn't uh, cuddly. She was not a hands-on kind of holding hands or caressing or cuddling or hugging kind of mom. So I thought, okay, so I'm I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> From most of the time, probably people would be like, okay, I can't breathe. Can you back away for a minute, please? So I'm like, okay, if this is what my role is for him, that's fine. It is. And I explained that to my mom. I said, he is way too young for this to be a strange event. This has got to be a natural thing. It was not instigated by me and he needs something. I don't know what that something is. Later on, I started to learn more about energy work and stuff. I'm assuming it had something to do with some energy, energetic connection too. I said, but I'm not going to make this poor child feel uncomfortable. And this goes back to me saying, you can be there, whether it's your biological child or not, you know, you can, you can provide I actually think of it as incredible that you can have multiple parents contributing things to a child in such a multidimensional way that maybe one parent on the other side isn't able to provide for whatever reason. How cool is that? For sure. It is the village raising the child in that particular situation. What a gift that is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's a thing like, you know, <laughs> I always talk about this too, but like in the village days, but the whole mm -hmm. community would be around us to help raise all of the children together, right? It wasn't just put on one or two people to be yeah. everything for that child. Yeah. Get their need, all their different needs met from different people within the community. Yeah. So. Did, did one of your children get married recently or they yes yeah, yeah last year okay yeah last year that was surreal too so she got married in our backyard and one of the things she struggled with was who would walk her down the aisle 
So her biological dad, um, very sadly, um, and under the influence of substances, uh, died when she was 14. And uh, a huge blow to her, to everyone, because no one saw that coming. Um, she had an adopted father who was my ex-husband. And then I remarried um, and we added to the family with the stepkids. And so she's like, oh, you like, you'll just walk me down the aisle. And I said, well, you know, yes, your, your dad or my ex, um, you know, we're not, he, he at the time was living in Alabama. So he was, he hasn't been physically um, and sometimes mentally and emotionally accessible, but he's always been supportive. And whenever she really needed him, he was there um, in the crunch times. So we have a very amicable relationship. I've done that very intentionally for the kid's sake. I, I do believe that's important too. anyone out there in a similar situation, put your children ahead of your drama. Um, and that may sound pissy of me, but I'm going to be pissy for a minute because it's again, children didn't ask to be here and they sure as heck didn't ask to be in divorced relationships. So put your crap aside and there are people out there to help you do that. So source out those people. I'm one of those people. Um, get the help you need to work out your stuff, but don't play it out through your kids. It's not cool. So one of the things that we did, um, we had a picture of my oldest daughter, daughter's biological dad on a chair with other people that were meaningful to both the bride and groom that were not able to be here physically. And uh, because they had been, they had passed, not just because they couldn't get a plane tag, they, they had passed away. <laughs> So we had pictures of them on a chair and then um, the way our house is set up, the wedding was in the backyard and we were going to come out the front door and it's a, a raised bungalow. So you kind of walk around and kind of down a hill. So I said to my oldest, I said, what if I walk you out the front door and we walk down to the side of the house and we collect your dad who will be standing under the tree. So we collected him. He gave her a hug. I brought her around because she started with me. Yeah. And then we collected him under the tree and we all hugged and kissed. And, and then he took the other side and, and we walked down to the end of the aisle where my, my current husband got to keep him on his toes. I'm going to say current, current <laughs> husband was just teasing. He's great. I'll keep him. Um, so he's standing at the end of the aisle and we did, he shook uh, my ex's hand and we all gave everybody hugs and kisses again. And then we all walked her down the aisle. Oh. So it, was very emotional for us, but it was also, I'm so proud and so grateful that everybody got it, that I, there were a lot of tears because people started to realize that community that was around my oldest daughter and how everybody had played a role and a very significant, powerful role in her life. And that it, this isn't a power play. This isn't a, a drama played out. And one of the things that was interesting too, about the wedding was that um, two things one of the things was that the groom's parents were also divorced and it came up that there was some serious anger <laughs> between dad and stepmom and stepdad and mom. And I'm like, Oh God, like we're the exact opposite. How's this going to go? <laughs> right. But it had a very calming effect and they were actually outstanding as well. Like they, there were no issues. Everybody really made a huge effort to put the kids first and make sure they had a great day. Later on, my ex-husband has two other brothers and one of the brothers, they, I think they had a preconceived notion of what had happened. And I really hadn't taken the time to explain it to him. It's not my place. But at one point, um, my ex's oldest brother said, so, um, so you and you and 
my brother, they're like, you're okay. I'm like, Oh God, Jeff, we've been okay for years. Like we're, you know, I have them over for dinner. We'll get together out, you know, for restaurants, we all kinds of stuff. We've been getting together for years. He's like, Oh, huh. Okay. So you're like Demi Moore and Bruce Willis. <laughs> I said, sure. <laughs> um, can I be Demi? Cause that would be great. She's pretty hot. <laughs> But I thought that was fine. I'm like, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Like we're, we're totally fine. And yeah, we had some stuff to work out at the beginning and we were we some tripping hazards along the way, but ultimately we got to a great place and both my ex and my husband completely amicable. Everybody's great. Everybody's wonderful. And the kids I've seen it on both sides. My husband's ex, they don't have a great relationship and I've seen how that's affected my stepkids. And I've seen the benefits my kids have enjoyed because we haven't put that in the way. So I think it's important for people to recognize the value of really putting your stuff away, De not swallowing it, deal with it, but okay. don't get the kids involved in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Uh, yeah. I have a very similar relationship with my ex, with my two older children. Uh, we still get together and do things as a family and have dinners and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it, it's so great. Like just hear so many horror stories, people just be at each other and not able to come to any kind of place of peace with each other. And it's just, yeah, like you said, it's so damaging for the kids. It's very emotionally intelligent of parents to put their stuff aside and Years ago, when I was married to my first husband, I was visiting my in-laws and they had pointed out neighbors of theirs where the mom lived in one house, the dad lived in the other, and their backyards backed onto each other and they had a gate. And it, that really left. And I think that was part of what influenced me later on when we, did, we got divorced was that, wow, I mean, you really couldn't get more. I'm not saying that's for everyone, just to clarify. <laughs> I'm not, you know what I mean? Like that might not be a thing that people can do. And I totally respect that you need space. But I was like, that's like the ultimate, right? Like to be able to say to the kids, you know, do what you need to do. You want to sleep here tonight. You want to sleep there tonight within reason, as long as it's not abused, as long as it's not dysfunctional, like do it. If you can do it, why wouldn't you do it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if our kids I mean, I hope that they stay in stable relationships and have great, strong marriages and 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 have children that don't have to experience blended families. That would be great. Um, but if they have to come to me one day and say, hey, you know what, this isn't working and I'm going to support them. I'm not going to be, I, I was faced with a lot of judgment when I, when I went to certain people in my lives, um, in my life. When I told them I was getting separated, lots of disappointment, lots of judgment, lots of anger, lots of embarrassment. Um, and I'm like, for who? Like, what? But I want my kids to be able to come to me and say, hey, you know what? This this isn't working. And maybe it's encouragement to go get counseling. And if that has been exhausted, maybe it's, hey, you're going to be okay. And you can be consciously uncoupled and you can be consciously co-parenting in separate homes. All of it's doable. And they've seen it now. Right. And when kids see things happen that are possible, it makes it so much more accessible and so much less scary when they're like, yeah, you know what? My parents were able to do this in a way that was less damaging was a perfect. No, they might even be able to do a better job than what we did. But 
wouldn't that be great to, to have our kids be able to feel safe to come to us and tell us this and, and be able to support them through that too? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, another thing that often comes up during these conversations, and you might have some good insight too, but uh, just really talking about self-care. And uh, oh. um, <laughs> uh, one of my guests re- refers to it as soul care, which I love. Mm-hmm. Do you have nice. uh, particular things that you like to draw on for yourself? Oh, gosh. Well, my whole business structure is all about self-care. I mean, um, owning eco an eco-friendly salon. So I own hybrid hair and detox spa. I also own the Institute for Harmonious Living. So it's um, environmentally friendly products, services, yoga, holistic life coaching. There's an art gallery upstairs. I try and people are like, what? what? What's all this stuff? How does it all make sense? I'm like, trust me, it's all connected. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of look at it like a, like the chakra system, right? We need to have a healthy way to express ourselves. We need to have a healthy way to to recharge. We need to have a healthy way to communicate, to connect to higher self and to others. So if we just look at it from that perspective, it makes complete sense. I want people to be able to to come in and just sigh and 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 relax. All of my staff in the past were required to get Reiki level one so they could ground and protect so they could serve others and not pick up their stuff and not dump their stuff on the client um, so that they could share weird stuff, woohoo stuff that I was talking about and explain it to their client sitting next to me. So I have a very multi-layered approach to self-care. I do believe that it's mental, physical, and emotional. I believe that first thing in the morning, we need to set an intention of how we're going to meet those mental, physical, and emotional self-care requirements. It might look different every day. It is absolutely essential to have a huge toolkit of those self-care things. People have, well, well, I go for a walk or I eat healthy. That's great. You need about 50 other things. (laughs) Uh, And the cool thing is, is, is experimenting with it and trying new things. Like I loved learning about energy work. I loved learning about crystals. I loved learning about flotation tanks and cranial sacral and body talk and geez, you name it, basic massage, Manny's Petty's facials. And I talked to people too about passive and active forms of self-care. Active form of self-care is going to a yoga class or going for a run or whatever. Passive forms of self-care are ones where we lay on a table or we, whatever performative action someone provides for us, to allow us to relax and enjoy whatever it is we're receiving. And it's important, I think, to do both. Um, If you are a teacher or a nurse or any other caregiver on top of being a parent, I tell people there is a a short list of the average individual self-care requirement to survive. (laughs) And then there's the caregiver's role. If you land under any of those other professions, yours needs to be twice as large. If you're a single parent, twice as large, because you're giving of yourself twice as much. And um, we all fall short. The average individual is falling short for sure. So I try and explain to people that when they come in for any kind of service, this is not pampering yourself. This isn't splurging. This isn't spoiling yourself. This is freaking maintenance. 
This is maintenance. This is the, the least that you should be doing for yourself. What other things can we book for you today? Like, and that comes from a genuine place in my gut and soul from the fiber of my being. This isn't about a bottom line for me. My husband laughs at me all the time because I do a whole bunch of stuff like, you know, doing the radio station stuff. For, like I just do a bunch of stuff for free because I believe in it. I would do what I do for pay for free because I know how important it is. It really is. If people aren't filling up their cup, if I want to be in a traditional phrase that people understand, um, you have to be able to source your energy from somewhere and, and not steal it from anyone else, which is what we're taught, which is a whole other conversation. But if we learn that we can access from our higher self, that we can be constantly refilling constantly, constantly, and intentionally filling with our deeds throughout the day. And it does save lives. It'll save our lives. And it may just save the lives of those around us. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's so true. Like you know, I, I've the last couple of guests too have just really uh, noticed how deep enough of an effect that their own self care practices have had on their children, uh, and like because they just they then pick up on our energy, right? And if we're nice and calm and relaxed, that just kind of then helps them to be calm and relaxed, and, and we can all just kind of settle. And and you know understanding that we're still going to blow our top yeah. and with our kids, they're going to see you do that. And they're going to see what you do next. Right. And they're going to learn. They're going to they, no, none of us are perfect. None of us. I've had people say, Oh, you must, you must have like no stress in your life. You don't get upset. Da, 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 da. Or people say, well, you're a holistic life coach. You know, why are you angry? What? There's going to be anger. There's going to be grief and all of the things. And none of them are bad, by the way. They're right. all meant to be there. They're telling you something. They're telling you there's something to move away from or something to change. Embrace it. And it's okay for your kids to see you angry, see you frustrated, see you creating boundaries, see you breathing, see you saying, I need a minute. I'll be right back. And them honoring that and you being steadfast and, and setting that boundary and being like, no, mom needs a minute. I want to be a hundred percent for you. I need a minute and you need to respect that right now. And I will respect that when you need it. And it's reciprocal. You know, they are going to learn. That's what emotional intelligence is. I tell people all the time with, when they connect with me, I'm like, we're a DNA transfer transformation of two different people into one body. We're also an emotional and an energetic transference. This, this swamp water, if you will, of DNA, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And they're going to watch how you do things. And if we can, that's what evolution looks like. Hopefully as a, as, as human nature is meant to, we will evolve to more intelligent human beings. And how else can we do that if they don't watch us do better or right. say, I know I can do better. My little two-year-old friend, five-year-old friend, eight-year-old friend, I know I can do better and I'm trying to do better. So by doing better means I have to go take care of me. That means that your children will be more conscious parents and they will learn how to breathe and work through stuff at school instead of punching another little kid in the head or biting or looking for attention where they shouldn't be. You know, they can, they can regulate themselves because you've taught them how to regulate themselves because you're regulating yourself. And I will tell everyone listening, I see a, an epidemic 
of our time right now in parents not regulating them themselves and being very distracted. And there's a whole generation of children unable to regulate themselves and so desperate for connection. They're looking for it in the wrong ways. So be very, very careful and mindful of how you're connecting or not with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Everybody is so, like you said, dysregulated. We're distracted. There's, there's just so much going on that we really need to turn our, our attention inward Mm -hmm. to ourselves. And working on ourselves as adults and as parents is the, the greatest gift we can give our children. I truly believe that. I think the more we do to try and become better human beings, you're going to show up better at work. You're going to show up better as a spouse. You're going to turn up better as a, a, a child, as a parent, as a friend. It, it really is self-care is and self-awareness and self-regulation and emotional intelligence and mental resiliency, all of those things that we poo-poo it. You know, oh, I don't have time to meditate, or I don't have time for yoga, or I don't have time to book an appointment for a service. I don't have time. You will regret not making the time. If you don't make the time for wellness, it's going to come back and bite you as illness. And that's going to be either illness in relationships, or it's going to be illness in the body, or the mind, or the spirit. And I've been in some situations. I had meningitis when my youngest daughter was two years old. It came out of nowhere. Twenty eight-year-olds aren't supposed to get meningitis. I got it because I was working too hard and I wasn't paying attention to my well-being. And so I had to learn to prioritize my health so that my children, if my kid, something like that happened to my kid, I'd lose my mind. Oh, you got to take better care of yourself. Well, they're watching me. <laughs> so right. I'm not doing it. Yeah. That's their example, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, Thank you for all of that. <laughs> such uh, such important lessons for all of us. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else coming up that you'd like to share today? Um, just be gentle with yourself, <laughs> especially if you're going to start really making an effort to do this. And I say this to any of any of my students. So I teach holistic life coaching and energy psychology. And I also offer services for, for that. Um, and I always say to them, it, this is exhausting. It is a very draining, exhausting, um, process to go through when you're doing self-awareness, self-evaluation, a self-observation, and then trying to undo and unlearn stuff and then try and put new stuff in its place, drop everything else, all the fat, all the stuff that aren't essential to your everyday living, drop it. You're going to have lots of time later to do all the things, to have a perfectly clean house. If that's what you're worried about, to have the business or to do the fill in the blank, whatever, you're going to have lots of time right now. You've decided to be a parent. And as we mentioned earlier, there is no greater responsibility and there's no greater role. And yeah, it's heavy because we talked earlier about, oh, sometimes there's too much pressure. That's unchangeable reality. The unchangeable reality is you brought a little soul into this world and you can't just pawn that on to someone else. Ideally, you want to try and 
do that yourself with the help of a, a small community of, of like-minded, amazing individuals, if you can find them. But in the end, there is really nothing more important than that little being that absolutely needs you for survival and is watching you. And I do the undoing later on. I do the unprogramming with EFT and stuff like that. We talk about, you know, what did you watch your, your mom do? What did you watch your dad do? What roles did they play? I do the undoing. <laughs> so, and there is an expiry date to blame your parents. I'm not standing here saying, oh, parents, you know, you're, you know, it's all our fault. No, we did the best that we could when, when we were in that moment. And I say that to the kids that are now adults. I'm like, they did the best they could with what they knew. Yeah. That yeah. part is we're letting go of the blame, but I'm telling you the undoing part. So recognize what is it that I am transferring onto my kids that later will have to be undone. And think about your own relationships with your parents. You know, what cycles do you want to stop? Because we can easily do that. Oh, there it is. Oh, trigger with mom or trigger with dad. Okay. What are we doing? Right. You know? Yeah. Food for thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. again, it's just like, you know, uh, just the importance of how, like, just being present at each moment with our kids, right? Mm -hmm. As as present as we can and yeah. doing the best we can with what we know. And that's why the self-work or the education that we take on, um, the attempt to learn better, to do better is so important because as you do that, as you learn and improve yourself, you automatically are giving better to everyone around you and, and as a parent. So making that time, you're fixing a lot of the, the epigenetic trauma, that trauma that can get passed down through generations. You're undoing it by consciously being aware, by consciously being in the moment. And it, it doesn't have to be rip it off like a band-aid cold turkey, little tiny things, little tiny things. Just do, just make the intention this tomorrow morning. This is what I'm going to do to just try and be a more conscious parent. Do that for a week and then hold on to that new habit and add one more on for the next week and do that for a week. And then the next thing you know, at the end of the year, you are freaking superstar. You've earned the best parent of the year mug now that's sitting in your cupboard because you're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Time just little bits. Don't overwhelm you because upon all that other overwhelm we deal with every day, you don't need, I have to redo all of the things that I do. No, you don't. Just one thing, pick a thing every day for a week and then add a second thing the second week and just keep accountable, accountability. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to chat with moms. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for being willing to come on and for all of the beautiful things that you shared. There's definitely a lot of wisdom there, so I really appreciate it. Thanks well, again. it's so cool to be reciprocal because I loved interviewing you on 88.7 The River uh, last week. So we've been able to share to large communities this really important wisdom that uh, we both have to offer. So thank you for bringing me on today. Yeah, thank you. Right, take care. You too, honey.